Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you? Oh, oh, I like that. Hey, I'm going to miss that opening trailer there. A few years ago, I got a call from uh, Ron Drost. Drost, right? I used to call him Drost until I married him. So Ron Drost. And some of you know Ron, right? You know, you say, Ron, how are you? And Ron says, I'm blessed. He does. He does. No matter what day it is, no matter what the weather is, the temperature is, what's going on, I'm blessed. Cool. So Ron, uh, when he calls me a few years back, he's in his mid-50s. I, I, I think I got that right. Well, I'm not misrepresenting him. And so he says, Pastor, I, uh, I want to ask a girl who goes to the church, I want to ask her, you know, uh, to go bowling with me. And uh, I want to know what you think. I mean, is, is, you know, uh, is it a good idea? What's the best way for me to go about this? And I'm thinking, okay, uh, so uh, who's the girl? He says, well, Andrea. <laughs> okay, so I'm familiar with Andrew, and I said, all right, well, that, that's cool. So far, so good. And I go, here's how I think you should go about this. I said, I would get a few people together, at least, you know, and at least one or two of those people would be persons that Andrea knows. She's familiar with them. And uh, then once you got them committed, I'd call Andrea up and say, hey, you know, a handful of us are going bowling. Would you like to join us, right? He did that, and she said yes, and, and they went bowling. And about a year later, I stood in front of the two of them at an altar, and they said their wedding vows. How cool is that, right? So, so I, gave, I gave Ron some good advice, clearly, right? It worked well. And uh, so I want to welcome you all to the last week of our teaching series, Wisdom That Works. It's been a great series. I've preached my lungs out in this series, right? We've had the record-breaking long sermons. We won't do that. I know every time I say this for the last two weeks, I've not stood by it, right? But, uh, but it, it's been a great series. We're doing this series so that you would become wiser versus being foolish, that you'd make better decisions, not worse decisions, not only for the longevity of your life. We're giving some emphasis to the summer. We want you to come out of the summer landing in the fall in a, in a good place, emotionally, spiritually, physically. We want you to be good. We want you to run with fire to the ending of the year, just glorifying and thanking God, huh? Now, this series is based on saying statements from the book of Proverbs, which is found in the Old Testament part of the Bible. These one-liners from God that give us wisdom on how to live our life. Now, the theme of the book of Proverbs, as we have been saying, is found in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. That's it, get wisdom. Whatever it costs you, get it. And we can all gain it, race, gender, socioeconomic status, education, it's there for all of us. Now, one way to apply wisdom in your life is to seek out good advice. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Solomon, the author of the book of Proverbs, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes these Proverbs to his son and, and the next generation. And, and as we know, God inspired him to write these words to us here today. Now Solomon's concerned about his son. And his concern is that his son is going to have to make complete decisions, yet he's going to have incomplete information to make those decisions. And that's life, isn't it? We have to do that in our marriage, in our occupations, our business, our relationships, college, school. We have to make complete decisions, and yet we have incomplete information. That's what makes life so challenge, you're one of the contributors to that make life challenging. We have to make complete, commit to complete decisions, and yet we don't, we're not entirely informed. So that's why you're going to need to get good advice. 
That's why good advice is crucial when you have to make complete decisions in critical areas of your life, and those decisions always carry consequences with them. And you want to come out thinking, I made a good decision. I feel good about who I am and where I'm going, right? And you can do that. You don't just want to run forward into life, right? You want to pause and get good advice. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20 says, get all the advice and instruction you can so that you'll be wise the rest of your life. Better to live life wise than to live life foolishly. Wise people generally win. Foolish people generally lose. I'd rather win, right? And how are we wise? We gather all the advice and instructions we can when we're going to make a decision. So Solomon, throughout the book of Proverbs, he's continually driving home this thought. Get good advice. What he's saying is, don't be so insecure. Don't be so defensive that you won't get good advice. At the same time, he's saying, don't be so self-sufficient, so confident, so secure that you don't think you need any good advice. And then there are others you might want to think is, look, don't come to a place where you're, you're struggling so much emotionally and you've come to a place of trying to control and manipulate life from deep down insecurities that you won't go out and get advice. You won't go, even go out and seek it because it might be something that's inconsistent with your telling yourself and what you think and how you think you need to drive forward the current circumstances, right? Don't do that. A few years back, I read a book by Ken Coleman, and it was called One Question. It's, it's just a good, easy, fun read, and the premise of the book is if you could sit down with, you know, someone who you think well of and highly of and ask them one question, what would that one question be? In the book, he does that. He sits down with people from the entertainment industry, athletes, uh, CEOs of some of the largest companies in the world, uh, political figures, presidents, and he, and he asks all, each one a particular question. And he says, you know, the question you ask them kind of says a lot about who you are and what's important to you, right? But he dedicates a portion of the book on the value of getting feedback, right? And he talks about how feedback improves our ability to make better decisions, right? He says when we, we have to ask, he says in the book, we have to ask the right people the right questions before we launch into things in our life. He said, now, if we don't, we're settling ourselves up for massive failures. Now he says, look, we can recover from that. I'll tell you that there's nothing more resilient than, you, than the human spirit. But he, as he said, so much unnecessary pain and damage comes into our life, right? And that's good advice, what Ken Coleman put there in that book, and that I'm sharing with you. And, and this is what Solomon is trying to do for his son. Solomon tells his son to go out there and, and get good advice when he lives out his life. His son, Rehoboam, eventually Solomon dies, and Rehoboam becomes king. And his first major decision now, his father's passed on, and his king now, he's got to make the, the first critical decision in his reign, and he winds up losing 80% of his kingdom. Yeah. One decision, one time, literally, immediately, he loses 80% of what his father left. Ten of the 12 tribes of Israel leave him. Right? Listen, you need to go out and get good advice. It's not going to land in your life. Get it. Get wisdom. Now, let's talk about 
how you use wisdom to get good advice, how you can think wisely so that you'd pursue, gain, and recognize, and keep good advice. First, get how life works versus how life looks. You know, when they create movies, how it looks is different from how it works, right? You know, they didn't actually shoot Star Wars in space. Some of you, that might be a shocker. I know that's how it looks, but it's not how it works. Now, there's a movie out there called uh, The Last Stand with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, and there's a scene in there, it's a kind of pretty cool scene, with a good cop, bad guy, and they're, they're driving some cars. You know, let's just take a quick look at it. driving at like 80, 90, 100 miles an hour, one's in a Camaro, one's in a vet, and they're flying through these cornfields. Pretty cool. But man, how did they do that? How did they drive? At times they can't even see each other. They're flying through these cornfields, blinded, corn, smashing. How did they drive the car? Well, let's look at another video. Kind of gives us a peek behind the scenes. Go ahead. So it basically allows us to put the two actors in, um, in a very controlled environment, um, do contact with the vehicle so there's crashing being done between the two of them and the actors are, are right in the middle of the sequence but um, the vehicles are both being driven by the stuntmen that are up on top in control of the vehicles completely so it's a good safe way to put our actors right in the That's cool that I got these pods on top of the car with stunt people in the pods and they're actually driving the car, right? Though it looks like it's Arnold driving and the bad guy, it's the actors, right? So it looks one way, but that's not how it works. Arnold Schwarzenegger is not driving the car. Someone else is. Someone above him is driving the car. And this is how life works. Let's talk about life. It looks like day to day that we're driving the vehicle, that we're in control of the car. I got up this morning and I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here and do this at that time. Then when that's finished, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to get to church at this time. I, that didn't work out. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my first huddle at this time. That didn't work out either. Uh, then, you know, we're going to preach. I'm going to finish the service at this time. That didn't work out. Uh, so pretty much nothing went, went as planned this morning, even though it was scheduled out so well, and I was so committed to that. And, of course, there are other things. Really, we lay out our life, and, and I'm a big planner. I coach my kids on planning. But the reality is we're not in control, certainly not, not nearly as much as we think we are. We are not driving this as much as we think we are. There's someone greater that's driving this world and that's driving us. Hmm? The truth is there's someone above us who is in control. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1 says, We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. Right? It also says in Proverbs 16, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. This is how life works. You, we are not in as much control as we think we are. And we spend a lot of effort and a lot of time trying to stay in control, but it just doesn't work out that way. And sometimes we try and control people to be in control, and that doesn't go well either, does it? 
And we, if you really pause you'll, and slow down, you'll realize how much effort and thought and energy you put into being in control. You might not call it that, and I speak to this a lot, but that's what's going on. But to pause and relax and say, okay, someone, the God, is in control. He's above me, and he's steering my life, and I'm going to rest in him and enjoy this ride, right? Look, Proverbs is like, the, it's like I said, it's these one-liners from God, this book of Proverbs, and it gives you a behind-the-scenes look at life, right? How life works. Not how life looks, but how it actually works. And it tells you that to help you understand you want to be wise and get good advice. Otherwise, you're going to live your life based on how life looks, not how it works, right? Especially when you're trying to maintain control and things are getting crazier and rockier and cloudier more and more. You're going to be based on circumstances, how life looks versus how life actually works. Listen, if you look at the life of Solomon's son, Rehoboam, we see this happen in his life. In the Bible, in the in the in the first Kings first one, in the, in the book, first Kings, after Solomon dies, many people gather around Rehoboam because he's king now, and they say to him, okay, listen, your dad Solomon, we think he was harsh with us, but we're asking you to lighten our load. Don't make us work as hard. Don't tax us as much. And if you do that, we will serve you. So after hearing the people say this, Rehoboam says, all right, you know, give me a few days to think about this. The elders... The older men gather around him, and he talked with them first. And so just stop right there. So he goes to these men that he deems are credible and trustworthy. I remember just a short time after me coming to faith, I realized that I was incredibly attracted to this girl named Christy. And she was dominating my thoughts. But we lived in two completely different worlds not just geographically, but just in every possible way. But now, you know, she was a Christian, I was a Christian, and how am I going to do this? And I didn't want to muck it up. And so I go to see this person who I knew was more mature than me and knew more about God than me. I knew that they were well thought out in these things, and they knew a good amount, and I'd seen them living it out in their life. So I went to go talk with them to ask them, you know, hey, what, what do I do with this, right? And, and that's what kind of, that, that was a good start. That's where Rehoboam, I, you know, I don't know his motivation. I'm going to say it's good, you know, that he hears these men out. And the, you know what the older men told him? They said, Rehoboam, if today you'll be a servant, that's right there. Okay, wait a minute. This guy's waiting to be king. As long as he could hear and talk, he, he knows I'm going to be king someday. He's waiting to be king, and now they're telling him he hears the word servant. It just doesn't jive, right? As long as today, if you'll be a servant, they tell him, to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servant. You see, that's how life works. This is good advice. Serve those who you care for, who are in your care. Serve them. In your family, in your marriage, in relationships, serve those who you want to serve with you, right? Serve those who you need in your life, who God has placed in your life. Now, Rehoboam, he doesn't look at it that way. Rehoboam, the Bible tells us, was kind of vain. And he probably starts thinking, now that was true, that's biblical. I'm, a, I'm just suggesting that he still probably starts thinking, hey, are you kidding me? You know, he has that inner dialogue, like, I'm king. I've been waiting all my life to do this. I'm the one who's supposed to be respected. That's how I imagine, that's what I dreamed. It's about me. So you know what Rehoboam did next? What do we usually do when we go out to get advice from somebody, and they tell us what we don't want to hear. What do we usually do next? 
we go and we find somebody who's going to tell us what we want to hear, right? That's, it's common. I'm vulnerable to it. We all are, right? And that's what Rehoboam does. And he goes out and he goes now to his friends, his peers, his buddies, the guys he's grown up with. And he says, hey, let me tell you about this. What should I do? And you know what they say? They say, hey, you know what? You're king. Stand up to those people. Get up in front and tell them this. And this is exactly what they said. Say, yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you. But I'm going to make them even heavier. When you didn't obey and do what you were supposed to do and, and broke laws, my father beat you with whips. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. Yeah. And immediately, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel walk away from him. He sends some soldiers out. His top commanders, he's killed. And he's got to flee on a chariot and get out of there. He winds up with only 20% of all that his father left him because he didn't understand how life works and it's not how it looks, right? And people often will listen to what they want to hear. They'll listen more to even themselves so that any situation, they'll be able to make it look right. And eventually they'll do now what feels right. You hearing me? See, that's why we do that. Why are we going out to find people who tell us what we want to hear, and why are we listening to ourselves versus what's coming our way that's good advice? Because we want to feel better. We generally, we don't want to hurt anybody, even though that's often the consequence. We don't want to make a mess relationally or financially, but that's what happens. We just want to feel better in the moment. We want to bring calmness. We want to bring soothing. We want to feel better. That's not what winds up happening, right? Because we're in control, not the one above. We're not listening to good advice. We're listening to what people, what we want to hear from others, right? And what happens when you do that, you wind up making it about who? About you. It's inevitable. All that you're doing is more and more and more you're processing everything, what you're hearing, what you're seeing is how it's going to affect you. How, how are you going to do this? It's becoming more about you. You don't think you're being selfish, but that's what's happening. And you know what's going to happen? When you make life about you, you blow things up. You do. You blow things up. You mess things up. You blow up marriages. You blow up relationships. You blow up situations with your kids. You just blow things up. You blow up businesses. You blow up opportunities because it's just about you. You don't mean to be there. You don't want to be there. Often it's the best you can do in the moment. I didn't say it's the best you could be. I said it's the best you can do in the moment. That way of living often puts you on a trajectory where you're going to wind up being kind of depressed or kind of anxious, which would be eventually isolated or, or just depressed and down. That's a hard way to live life. Even though you're doing the best you can, it's a tough way to go day to day, hour to hour, living that way. And, and then often you, you begin to do things like excessively isolate or medicate through substances, whatever that might be, you know, smoking, weed, drinking, drugs, opiates, whatever it might be. You're just, hey, it's the best you can do to get through the day because it's just so hard to get through the day because this is who you are at this time. But it's not what God called you to be. It's not the best you could be. It's just the best you're doing. I want you to pause. And I really want you to hear what I'm going to say here because it's important. It's all important, but I, I know when it's kind of an announcement in nature, we tend to kind of get foggy. Next week, we have a speaker coming here. It's not something we often do. He's traveling from Australia. He'll, he'll leave Australia Saturday morning, somewhere like 3, 4 in the morning, and he'll land here. We'll get him in Boston somewhere around 6 o'clock at night on Saturday. His name's Lucas Connell. Lucas, for 10 years, lived his life steeped with anxiety and depression,
and addicted to drugs. And then, doing a, a phenomenal experience with God, had a transforming, his life was transformed, and he came to know freedom from all that, and, and not just freedom from that, but then to go out now and live just really a, an incredible life where he's helping and caring for others, and is within his own life building some wonderful relationships. Now, I certainly want to invite all of you to come and be a part of this. I don't think one person will leave here without being inspired, but, but you know somebody out there that struggles with depression. You know somebody out there that struggles with anxiety. You know somebody out there that smoking too much weed, drinking too much, addicted to opioids. You, you know somebody. You, you know somebody out there. They're out there now, and God is working in their hearts. He's stirring them. This is how it goes. This is my doctrine. He's stirring them. He's awakening them to their need of him. They might not articulate it that way like I didn't, but they know something needs to be better. Something needs to change. They know something's going on outside of them. They want to be better. They're being drawn. God has started that. God has created a harvest. He wants you, being an instrument in his hand, to go out there and to invite them in here. He's begun this. He's facilitating this. He's empowering this miraculously. He wants you to trust in him and serve him and to go out and invite them and bring them in here so that perhaps their life would be saved. Saved, I'm talking from cold stone death to maybe living out an incredible, abundant, wonderful life, right? Or perhaps their life would just be improved from living out mired in anxiety and, and, and depression and having to live life, just trying to deal with that, to living free from that. Right now, put it on your hearts to go and invite somebody. It just said, we got this guy from Australia. It just sounds good. We got this guy from Australia. Man, he just, he's got this great story, traveling over. He just wants to come and share with us. Not many people fly from Australia to come to Ghana to talk to people, right? But here. So I'm giving you something to take out there to touch people, to bring them in here. So what, 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 what? Even more so that they'd be delivered from drugs, that they would know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because that ultimately is where they're going to find their freedom. And, and that's why God opened up their hearts that they're aware of their need of him. Be the laborer. The harvest is there, man, all right? So I just want to encourage you to go out and do that this week. Now, I didn't say this first service. I should have. We have a promo out there on Facebook. Just go out there and share it. Just go, just take the time today. I know you're probably rarely on Facebook. You know, you only go there like once a month, most of you. But just go out of your way today and go on Facebook and just share that. Share it with somebody out there. Share it with, share it with everybody. Share with everybody all your contacts. Just share it. Because somebody's going to get that and it's going to be beginning of them changing their life. People are in too much pain. Share Jesus with them. Share resources with them. Share what you have with them. Say with me. Say share. share. You did that so well. Thank you. All right, listen. So this is why, so, this is why Solomon is telling his son, look, get good advice. He doesn't want to see him suffer and to lose and to live foolishly. He wants him to get how life works versus how life looks. He doesn't want his son just to live his life based on how things look and circumstances, but really behind the scenes, how life will really work. The next way we could use wisdom to gain good advice is get godly principles versus popular opinions. All right. So now what's interesting is the Bible doesn't tell us a lot, 
doesn't really give us any indication that Rehoboam went and spent some time talking to God about this decision, right? All he did, well, ultimately what he did was he leaned on the discussion he had with and the information he got, the advice from his peers. So I'm crazy attracted to Christy, and I'm, I go and I talk with this person, you know, to get advice from them on what should I do, how should I do that. That was a good decision, by the way. I didn't go and talk to my buddies in Brooklyn. We, we, I know how that would have worked. Like, what do you mean, what do you do? You know what you do. What do, you do? I got to tell you what to do with this girl? I mean, come on. So I went to this person, and, and the advice they said was, well, Dave, you, you got to trust God. It's okay. You, you know, if it's God's will for you to be in a relationship with Christy, well, then it will be. You just need to trust that this is God's will for you, that you will have Christy as, you know, a partner in life. I'm like, oh, okay, I got that, right? Okay, so I got to trust in God and got to believe it's God's will. Now, by the way, that wasn't a common answer that I would have gotten. At that time, just like probably now, that's not going to be the popular opinion of the day, right? Certainly not in my life and the way I was living and, and in my culture. That was not the public opinion or the public advice, right? See, Rehoboam, he went public and went with popular opinion to make that decision. You want to check how you govern your life. Are you making critical decisions based on popular opinion, right? Meaning the way things seem to be okay with, the, the way it's more common, the way it's more, you know, accepted, if you will. He wasn't following what his father Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 3 chapter 7 says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What it's saying there is don't make decisions in your life without God. Don't make a decision in your life apart from God. This is why you do want to read the Bible. And I encourage you to read the book of Proverbs. 31 chapters, take one day over the course of a month and read a chapter a day. I mean, really, you'll blow through a chapter in a few minutes. And you can think about it, maybe go back and, and read some of your favorite one-liners, you know, circle them, think about them, ponder on them talk to God about it. It's also why you need to pray to make decisions with God. And when you pray, you're more likely now to obey. It's why you obey God, because you want to make that decision well and right. You want to make it based not on how things look, but how they are. You don't want to make it based on you controlling everything and thinking you're going to control it as you now map out how you're going to make that decision, like it's just all going to work that way. And because most of all, it's because you need to believe that God is there and that he is on top driving, right? God is in control. And you want God's commands, God's principles, God's decrees, God's blessing to be the one that's driving you, not just popular opinion, not just what's common in culture. That's how you want to make decisions in your life. So now, here I am now, and okay, I'm really into this girl, Christy. And I've gone and I've talked to this person, which, you know, a month earlier would have been the last person in the world I would have turned to about anything in life, let alone something like this. They asked me, what do I do with a girl? I'm 28 years old, what do I do with a girl? What do I do with a hot girl, a good-looking girl? What do I do? I like calling you hot. I just do. I do. I, I know you don't like it. I'm sorry. You've told me, you've told me not to do it. She does. She, sh she shakes her head. Uh, she's very attractive. Right? How's that? Um, and uh, what do I do? And, and they say, well, look, you want to trust in God, and if it's God's will that Christy would be with you, then she will. 
So they tell me that, and I'm like, okay. And I remember, I just remember this so vividly. I'm not, I don't know if I've shared this with you. I, um, I go, and I, and I just can't even sit still in the, in the, in the house. I, I leave the house, and I go walking outside. It's raining. It's raining pretty hard, actually. And I'm walking in the rain. I'm trying to talk to God. I'm like, you know, okay, God, uh, you, know, if it's, uh, you know, if it's your will that Christy be my girlfriend, and, you know, then okay, good, that's great. And, you know, I, you know I, if it's your will that we'll be together, and, you know, I, you know, I want to know that. And if I'm like, oh, you know, just come on. I'm like, I, look, I don't know what your will is or what your will is, and I don't know. I just know she's really good looking, and I like her a lot. I mean, I'm really into her. She's really, attra- you know, attractive. I just want her, okay? I just want her. I do. And, and, and of course, I really didn't say it that first. I just, I just, I just want her. I wasn't frustrated with God. I just, I just want her. I said, so, so uh, and, and then it kind of paused there, and I, I turned around, and, and I began to think, and I do, I think this was a moment, again, that the same God who awakened me of my need for him comes upon me, and I'm like, you know, how about this? I said, you know, God, if you, if you give her to me, is the way I said it, if you bring her into my life is what I'm meaning, I won't mess with her. I won't mess with her. Mm. So what does that mean? I'm not going to mess with her. It meant two things. I, and, I, and I articulated this. I won't sleep with her. I won't get into it with her sexually. I'm not going to do that. And by the way, me saying that was just really like, far, like it was so foreign to me, like to even go there. Which is why I really, I wouldn't even know to even think that way. Like, why would I not have sex with her? I'm attracted to her. I desire her. I like her a lot. And so for me to even think that way, I I won't mess with her. Part one. Part two is, I won't mess with her. I know she's going to, not. I don't know if she's going to be a nun, she's going to Bible school. And... Uh, and I, but really, what I know is that, you know, she's going to really do things and work for you and work in church and help people with God. I'm not going to mess with that. I won't mess with that. I'll, I'll be a good guy. I won't screw things up. I'll hang over here, not doing bad things, and I'll make sure she does good things. That's what we're going to do. I promise you. And uh, that was our conversation. And you know what? I didn't mess with her, you know? You know, meaning we kept to marry. Now, let me tell you, I was 28 years old, man. I was 28 years old, and I was deeply, deeply attracted to this woman, right? And I didn't mess with her, what she wanted to do with God. Actually, I kind of joined it after a while, as you could see, right? Okay, listen. Right now, there's an article in Time Magazine spoke to this. We're just living in a time. I don't just think it's the younger generation. Uh, I think it's all of us. But I do think one thing. I think... You know, the younger generation that we have today, and I give them credit for this, they're very accepting. Uh, and, that's, and, I, and really, that's admirable. Right now, the younger generations are more accepting of people as a whole and differences than really my generation was. I think that's a good thing to look at. Now, at the same time, there's one thing to be accepting, another thing to turn around and dismiss any discernment. So, and you don't want to be judgmental, why people do this and why people, no, we're not, but there's a discernment, right? We, we want to accept people and think well of people and value them, but we want to discern that if there's anything in that, even though it's popular and common and we're accepting the people, that we don't turn around and embrace things where now we're violating wisdom, right? We're now, this is not the advice that God gives us on how to live out our lives. This is not what we want to do. And you can accept and you can value and you can care for and not do that. 
And not only not do that verbally, but even now actually live it out amongst you in your own way, right? Meaning you don't want to endorse that in any way, shape, or form, right? When you do that, what's happening is you're being wise in your own eyes. You're violating Proverbs 3, 3, 7. You're being right in your own eyes. Like, all right, God, I, I, you know, I, you might say, but I know you said this, and I know you said that, and, and, and yeah, but that was a while ago, and, and I know this is right. What you're doing is you're, you're, you're listening to yourself, tell yourself what you want to hear, and you're not following the wisdom of God. And so rather than be wise, you might be going down a fool's path where there's going to be issues and there's going to be problems there, huh? Now listen, I want to go to this now. And it wasn't in my notes. I did it last time, so I like to do the same both services. We have this portion in Scripture where Jesus is hanging out. There's a crowd. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, bring this woman before him. They literally throw Jesus, they throw the woman at Jesus' feet. And they've caught the woman in the act of adultery. Which means likely they caught the man too, but they don't, which they should have brought the man as well. They don't. They just bring the woman. And they basically tell her, look, she's been caught in adultery. What should we do with her? They're not looking for justice or truth. They're just looking to test Jesus. You know, and so Jesus turns around and he answers their question. It's one of the greatest answers to a question in the history of the world, really. And Jesus says, okay, he who is without sin cast the first stone. He who is without sin throw the first stone at the woman. By the way, the intent wasn't to hurt her or scare her. The intent was to stone her to death. One by one, after Jesus gives that statement, from old to young, they drop the stone and they begin to walk away. Then Jesus turns around and tells the woman, your accusers are gone. Meaning you're not going to be killed today. You're going to live, right? You've got a life to live. And then what does he tell her? He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Wow. He did. He said it. Now, what's happening a lot in our, in our modern culture, and in, in, in our modern Christian culture, I love you. We're friends. Let me, see, let me just premise this. I'm not saying I'm better than you. And I value you. I do, no matter the lifestyle. I, value, I look to see what I can find in people, what I can value in them. I teach my children the same thing. Doesn't mean I'm better than you. Doesn't mean I'm smarter than you. Doesn't mean I don't value things about you. I truly do. Doesn't mean I don't want to hang out with you. I do. I do want to hang out with you. And some of you that are living out life in, in a way that's inconsistent with the Bible, I might like hanging out with you better than some people who are living their life okay, but just their personality isn't that great. <laughs> you know, we got to work on that. That might be cloudy, but just hang in there with me. I dig people and I value people. But I love God. And I love what God's done in my life. And I love the Bible. And I love what the Bible tells us. And I love what I see the Bible doing in people's lives now for 25 years that have been around this. What's happened in our Christian culture is Jesus told her, go and sin no more. But the way we're living out this Christianity is as if Jesus told her, go and keep sleeping with the guy. Right? Meaning, okay, so your accusers are gone. You're going to live today. You've got a life to live. I've touched you. I'm here. You know I'm real. Okay, cool, cool. Now go and keep sleeping with the man. I mean, if, that, if, that's, if that's the best you could do, you know, and, and, and if that's getting you through the day and that's making you feel better and you're learning whatever, just keep sleeping with them. That's how a lot of us are living out our Christianity. And here's the thing. It's not what Jesus told you to do. And, and really, here's the thing. It's not good advice. I know it's common. I know it's popular. Heck, more of you are doing it than aren't doing it. But 
It's not God's principle. It's popular, it's common, it's not wise, it's not good advice. And therefore, it's, it's undermining the life that God's given you to live. He, you know he's real, you've experienced Jesus. God's drawing you closer to him, and he's saying, hey, 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 here's the life I had, I've got for you. Don't mess it up, don't mess with it. Now, here's what I want to tell you. So I pastoring eight years now, been around this thing for 25 years. And I noticed this just the last couple of weeks. It's not about the rule, okay? Okay, I shouldn't uh, have sex, you know, prior to being married. Uh, I shouldn't have sexual relationships. And there's other things, we're just talking about this right now. And I brought the illustration with Christy along. And, and here, this past couple of weeks, I, t- I begin to tell Christy, I, I think I've seen something. Because again, I always look at it as, I'm a prime example, because I was so screwed up. I was so depraved, I was so anxious, I was so restless, I was so ignorant to good things and the Bible that I figured if I could do this, most people could, right? And it honestly was, so, and really, there really wasn't much to value in me as a human being. But praise God, those, those believers, those Christians, they found something. And it was only that I was a human being. <laughs> so I figured if it might work for me, it might work for you. And if it's, if it's in Scripture. So what I realized was, okay, Chris and I, we really, we love being around each other. Yesterday we were driving, I said, no man, I could drive for a thousand miles just hanging out talking to you. And she's thinking, okay, wow, that'd be tough, all right? You know what we do? We love hanging out with each other. We love being with each other. We love being close to each other. And really, for the, all our marriage, we've had some challenging things to work through. Crazy grandfather dying, tons of inner city kids, challenges moving, planting churches, four kids, twins. I mean, there's been some challenges. And I've screwed things up at times. But we have always grown and moved forward, learned and kept going. And I think... I think what happened there in our conversation with me, with God, hanging in with me, I think that's had a lot to determine what's going on. Because every time we got better, I had to come to a greater place of faith in, with me and God, as, as Christy had. We both had to come to a greater place of trusting in God, surrendering ourselves. And when we've done that, right, I always look better standing next to you. Especially if I'm going to say something I know people don't like to hear. <laughs> so... Really, what's happened is she's had to give, put herself aside, and I've had to put myself aside. I don't think we actually articulated that. I didn't know it was we, but eventually that, that's what the sum of it was in the end. To just, not just tolerate, but, but to just thrive and to grow and to value each other more and be more into each other. So here's my point. That conversation I had with God that I'm not going to mess with her, the fact that I followed through that, that conditioned my mind and my heart to do that, to live this way. With my, that's, that's how I have a relation with God, with this woman. That's what I do. When crap happens and things happen and challenges come, and, and that's just how I'm programmed how to handle that stuff eventually. Because me and my brokenness and my ignorance did that. Right? Now, therefore, if I didn't do that, then when the issues come, well, you know, well, of course, in the beginning, I'll tolerate it. We'll find ways to tolerate it. We'll find ways to give in, to to compromise, to, to do that. None of that glorifies God. It might get you through the day, the weekend, the month, but eventually it's just going to wear thin. It's going to wear down uh, attraction and chemistry and intimacy. And so it's happened so much what I'm seeing with, especially people in young marriages, but you could probably keep going with it, is that, again, 
because you're doing the best you can. I'm not pounding on you that, hey, you know, life is hard. We don't want to be lonely. We're attracted to each other. This just feels so good because you know why? Because it feels so good. Okay, and so let's just have sexual relations. Here's what's happening. I know most people, most Christians are doing this and they get married and they know God and they're in church. So it's okay. I'm telling you, this is what's happening. Look, this is, I really think what I'm seeing is that you right there, you need to look at each other and say, we're conditioning ourselves. I do care about you, and I know you care about me. But what's happening is, it's not so much that we're breaking a rule, which is, no, no, no. And it's, not, it's a matter of we're conditioning, training ourselves that, you know what, when you need me to be all that you need to be, when these things come into our relationship, I don't know how to do it. I've never lived out my relationship with God that way for you, and you're not doing it for me. And so even though first we're not going to notice that, right, or when these challenges come, we're going to be newer and better that we can do this. You know, meaning I know God and I've grown in God and I know God in a good enough way that I can be somewhat unselfish and I can tolerate you doing that. And you're going to tolerate me doing that. But that's going to grow weary. In months, within a year to two years, and the more the challenges come, again, you know, we don't control it, it just they happen. Unique ones, different ones, the same thing starts to happen. And you don't realize it. You're doing the very best you can to be a Christian, to do what's right, to do what's good. But you never got trained and conditioned to just put yourself, to deny yourself. I mean, to deeply, deeply, crazily get intimate with God and, and, and indulge that relationship rather than indulge yourself physically and deny yourself at that level. Because when you do, Jack, you're ready to do battle. You're ready to battle. Now, I, you have denied yourself. Something that literally, naturally, you were made to want. With the person that God has brought into your life, this seems seem just, wow, now you're ready to just by condition. You know, when I was at that warrior conference, the night before, they tell me, okay, you got like four minutes to go up and just get 1,100 guys going, right? You know, and here's a song to attach to that. Okay, well, next week I'm sitting there and I'm going to my son's graduation. There's like 400 people in the place and they're like, they're starting the whole thing. They're like, uh, Reverend Trelongo, will you come up and open this up with some words in a prayer? I'm like, okay, you know, pretty, would you do that? Now, why, why was I able to do those things? You know, I mean, I'm sitting there thanking God for Justin and looking at Christy and, I'm, and all of a sudden come up and talk and pray in front of 400 people because I've been conditioned to do it. I mean, I, really, I've, I've just been conditioned to do that. All the things that are going on, stimulus, response, pulse, heartbeat, you know, all that, it's just conditioned. That's what happened when I had that conversation with God with Christy. I got conditioned in my faith. I'm just, I'm just encouraging you. I'm giving you some advice here. As a guy who deeply cares for you and wants to see you thrive in your relationship and to tell you, man, the pain that comes when people, you know, not working this out. Oh, man. And I've just really realized it's this. And so now what I'll tell somebody is, hey, look, go back. And I'll ask them, well, you know, did you have the, yeah, we did. Okay, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see how that happens. More common than not. Um, you do the best you could. Okay, go back, meaning in your heart, in your mind. You're not, and actually, you're actually going forward, not backwards. But just spend time with God now and have that conversation with you, you and God now that you didn't have then. And say, you know, God, I love you. I need you. And you know, man, just forgive me. Forgive me. I see now that I, in that moment, in that time, just was desiring and needing something greater than you. Um, and, and that you were there. And I'm so grateful that you are, as you were there then, you're here now. I'm talking to you. You're with me. And I just feel so good that I can talk to you like this, to be so courageous, to be so bold. And I know I'm getting the mercy from you. 
And I, I know, just forgive me, God, and now let me trust you courageously. Let me, let me know you in a greater way. Let me now thrive in this relationship and thrive where I am. That's what it's about, huh? And have that moment with God. And now go and live life that he's given you and sin no more. I'm telling you, I promise you, I promise you, I've never met a person who regrets making that decision. And I promise you, before God, that I have talked to hundreds of people who have not made that decision, gone the other way, and continually lived out their way, and they have suffered deeply for it, and are suffering, right? So go out and live God. And so God says, go and and live life knowing I love you. Jesus did not come to make us comfortable in our sin. He, he, he came that we would conform to God's word, to God's truth, to God's good advice, to God's direction. The, Jesus came so that we would know how much God loves us, that even while we were sinning, while we were living out life the, the best we could, you know, but apart from God, that Jesus died for us. He did that while we were doing it, still doing it. He did that. It's powerful. It's amazing. So that we could turn around and not run and not hide and not be feel guilty and be terrible but just to say oh you're there Jesus you did this for me not that I would stay this way but that I would do no more this way that I would live apart from this way that I would live life in a vital way Jesus accepted people but he didn't endorse sin keep accepting people keep loving people why didn't Jesus endorse sin and and be okay with it because he knows that it erodes life it undermines life. It undermines relationship. It under, it, he knows what it leads to. And eventually, it leads to people saying, I'm driving the car. Matter of fact, God, get the heck off the roof in the first place. I can do this. And gradually, they go on a path where really, God is at best just like a, a, a part of their intellectual process. At best. And but they're so far apart from the Jesus who loved them, who gave his life for them, and who's giving them the advice and calling them to a greater life. God loves you that much. He doesn't want that life for you. Jesus loves you more than you will ever know. That's why he died for you, was crucified for you. I believe this to be truth. It's a historical fact, his crucifixion. I believe spiritually in the depth of me that he was risen from the dead and that he lives. And now he did all that to bring us life. So don't be comfortable or content with a life, anything else that honors Jesus. He wants you to be free. You came in here today, and, and, I, and I don't know where you're at. We have people coming here that don't know God. How do I know? I get emails. I get um, text messages. I, I get messages from the front. So I'm often speaking to that. I want you to know you come in here today, and you weren't free, and maybe you've been living out life with kind of being in control, and maybe you've been gathering advice when you do from these other sources apart from God, but God awakened you. You were out there. Like I said before about inviting people, you were out there, and God awakened you to your need of him. You might not have articulated that way in in, in your inner dialogue, but that's what's going on, and here you are now, sitting here today, hearing that, man, I can live out my life in a greater way, that wisdom is getting good advice, and here's the advice I give to you today. And that's what, what just about all of us here or that's around you. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Accept Jesus Christ. Embrace Jesus Christ. Desire to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What does that mean? Meaning he's driving your life. And you're looking at him, and you've got this incredible inner strength. This incre- you're filled with this great hope, huh? And this yearning for something more out there, for the transcendent, for the better, for the best is yet to come. And this is how you're going to live out your life.
and you want to turn to him this morning. I'm telling you, when you surrender to God and say, you know what, man, whatever this lands, it lands. I'm going to surrender to God. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to live as he called me to live, as he gave his life for me to live. And we are going to honor him, do everything we can. I'm telling you, you will thrive. All that he has given you, all that I speak of valuing in you is going to just burst, man, and explode in your life in a great way, huh? It's just going to open up for you, right? That's right. You tell him, look. God doesn't want to limit you. He wants to free you, right? He doesn't want you to be free for sin. He wants you to be free from sinful life, right? Because that's what freedom is. Most of all, most of all, truly, and this is what I've been saying more and more to myself. I told Chrissy the other day, I came across this truth. It's a great truth. I read it in a book because I'm trying to work on health for myself. That's probably why I'm preaching where I am these last several weeks. I want health. I want deep health in myself, in my marriage, in my church. I said, Chrissy, I have have a goal. I read it in a book. She's like, what? I want to be the happiest person in my church. (laughs) I do. That's what I said. The pastor should be the happiest person in his church. I said, man, I want to be the happiest person in the church. And one of the ways I'm going to get there is to really grasp how much God loves Dave. And that's what I'll leave you with today. As we had all these conversations, we kicked up a lot of stuff. Every time you think about all of this, just know this. Know how much God loves you. And then continue the inner conversation with yourself. God bless you. To God be the glory.